Welcome, 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 everybody, back to another episode of the FearCast. Uh, this is a new episode for a new year. So welcome, everybody, into 2019. If you guys are listening to this somewhere in the future, uh, this is what the past sounded like. Uh, it was nice, but uh, it's probably a lot like the future. Right from the top, I want to thank any new listeners who may have found my podcast over the winter break or over uh, sometime in December. Um, you probably either found me through uh, the website, fearcastpodcast.com. You found me through Facebook. You found me through Instagram. Uh, hopefully, you found uh, this podcast through uh, some search somewhere, or uh, I think even better, uh, somebody told you about it. So hopefully, um, you found it in one of those ways, but either way, you found it. So thank you so much for joining us. Um if you're a, an old listener, thank you for uh, coming on back. Um, I just want to uh, to remind you that uh, if you're one of the old listeners or have listened to a couple episodes, please consider going over to iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and rate the show. Um, and if you'd like, uh, write a short review about it. Um, you can uh, you can also give me feedback about how the show is going or what what you'd like to talk about or where you'd like the show to go. You can send in those questions or feedback or suggestions uh, by uh, by going over to fearcastpodcast.com com and uh, clicking on the submit a question link there and uh, all of those will get to me um, so sorry for the delay in this uh, in this new episode um, the the winter break was crazy there was a lot of stuff going on so first off I want to thank Mike for messaging me through Facebook um, and asking me uh, if I was ever going to going to uh, get off my lazy butt and do another episode. Uh, now, this wasn't exactly uh, how he asked it, uh, but I was reading between the lines. So I think he was asking me something along the lines of that. So, man, so let's see here. So what's new with me over the break? Well, um, I have a six-month-old now. She's six-month-old. Um, my little girl is six months. So she's super cute. She's starting to, like, flip over, and she's starting to babble, and it's uh, it's so fantastic. You know, over the break, one of my many, many hobbies is um, buying, trading, selling uh, musical equipment. So, I, you know, I traded an upright bass I had for a Rickenbacker uh, 4003W for all you music nerds out there. If you want to look it up, if you don't, uh, don't look it up. That's totally fine if you don't care. Um, either way, it's super fun, and uh, that's the stuff that keeps me out of trouble other than this podcast. So that's pretty much the long and short about what's going on with me. So back to the show. If you're a returning listener, I mentioned in the last episode that we're going to be going over some of the taboo subjects within OCD. And with this episode, we're going to start out with HOCD. So HOCD, for those of you who are uninitiated, uh, stands for, um, generally speaking, it's called homosexual OCD, or otherwise known as, more broadly known, it's known as uh, sexual orientation OCD. Now, this is, yet again, just another manifestation of OCD, of obsessive compulsive disorder. And this follows the same OCD cycle. So what is the OCD cycle? So what we've talked about before is you can think about it as you and I are triggered to our anxieties through things either within us, thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, the stuff that just pop up, or stuff that's on the outside of us. So it can be movies or TV shows or other people. Pretty much anything can trigger those uh, these obsessive thoughts. But again, those things are completely neutral. They're just stuff. So what that does is it leads into this obsessive thought, this what if or if then sort of scenario. And generally speaking, this tells us this feared story about what's going to happen to us or what's true about us or what's going to happen to those around us. And usually, we don't like that story. So that thought leads into anxiety. Now, we don't like feeling anxiety because it usually feels bad. So we're going to try to do something to get rid of that anxiety, or at the very least, make sure that that story is never going to happen, at least in the way that our brain is saying that it's going to happen. So we're going to try to do a compulsion. Now, the compulsion is anything that you and I are going to try to do to make sure that the story goes away, or at least that we feel better. Now, once we do that thing, either through avoidance or reassurance seeking or, or ritualistic behavior, um, then oftentimes we feel better. But the problem is that it reinforces the very nature of this nonsense, silly story that our brain has all of a sudden given us. So that is the OCD cycle in a nutshell. So how does HOCD fit into that? Well, 
Um, you can kind of think about HOCD as broken up into two main categories. So it's the fear that somebody is going to become gay or that they are already gay and they're going to discover it at some point in the future. Or it's at some point that they're kind of denying this about themselves. So some of the feared thoughts that someone can have if they're afraid that they're going to become gay, they might have the thought, if I watch Brokeback Mountain and I like the movie, I might start to think that um, I should have a gay relationship. Another thought might be, uh, if I notice somebody who's attractive, so someone of the same sex who's attractive, I might, quote, turn Another thought might be, if I get comfortable with gay thoughts or, quote, gay stuff, um, I might turn gay. Now, for the thoughts that uh, somebody might already be gay, um, they might have the thought, last week I noticed that there was a guy that was attractive and I, I was looking at him for a while. That must mean that I'm gay. Another thought might be, well, I, I kind of experimented with someone when I, was, uh, when I was young, kind of playing doctor or something like that, and I didn't stop it immediately or I didn't stop it at all. Um, so therefore, I, I must have gay leanings since I must have been okay with it. So I, I must ultimately be gay. Another thought about someone who might already be gay or the fear that you might already be gay is um, the thought might be, I like spending more time with my guy friends or, or my girlfriends, um, so therefore I must be gay if I don't want to spend time with opposite sex friends or opposite sex partners. Now again, all of this stuff is just a story. But from this story, um, it, it has these implications. It goes on and on and on about the, the, the fear being what's going to happen to me, what's, well, what's going to happen to my relationships, what's going to happen to um, uh, my, my family, what are they going to think, what's going to happen to my job. And the stories can go on and on and become incredibly elaborate. And the anxiety, the feeling that often comes with these fears can, often, can very much be convincing. Um, as we've talked about before, OCD is, in generally speaking, not really a thought problem, it's a feeling problem because you and I might be able to rationalize our way through these or rationalize our way out of them in some fashion. Um, this is oftentimes where compulsive thinking can come in, but usually it's, it's not really the thought itself that makes us do compulsive behavior. It's going to be that feeling, that anxiety, that dread, that tightness, that wrenching feeling that we get that leads to compulsive behaviors because it, it can feel so, one, terrifying, two, convincing. So what are some compulsions that somebody might go over? So three basic categories of compulsive behavior are going to be avoidance, reassurance, or neutralization. So what are some examples of compulsive behaviors in the avoidance category? Uh, it might be avoiding eye contact with people of the same sex. It can be avoiding any physical contact other than necessary, like handshakes, uh, uh, when needed. Another might be avoiding gay neighborhoods or, or media with gay themes or gay actors. Might even avoid listening to music by artists who are gay, things like that. So some compulsions within the reassurance category might be mentally reviewing previous attractions to people of the opposite sex. Another compulsion of reassurance can be asking one's partner or friends if they've ever, even currently, think that they're gay or, or have ever questioned whether or not that they're gay. What they're looking for is that hopefully their, their partner, their friends are going to say, no, we've never thought that one, one bit. We think you're totally straight. And that person takes this big, ah, oh, this big sigh of relief, feels as if that's confirming their heterosexuality. Uh, another compulsion of reassurance can be looking at sexually explicit images of the opposite sex to check for arousal or to look at sexually explicit images of same sex people to ensure that they are not aroused. And lastly, some compulsions of neutralization. These can be noticing a same-sex person as attractive and then quickly trying to move your eyes over to someone of the opposite sex uh, just to kind of undo that vision or undo the fact that you're noticing that attractive person. Another, uh, similarly, it can be um, if a gay person comes to mind, uh, trying to quickly replace that thought with a straight thought. Whatever you define as a straight thought can be that, just replacing that. Um, lastly, even saying phrases like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not gay or anything, um, or the ever popular quote, no homo line, if you've ever heard that before. Um, I don't know if people are still saying that and I hope they're not, but it's a line commonly used or sometimes used, I suppose, when commenting positively on something gay or even, 
even gay adjacent, um, just to confirm to everybody around them that uh, that they're not actually gay. And somehow by by announcing this, it negates their entire uh, it, it negates any possibility of homosexuality. Now, what are some common variants of HOCD? So I'm just going to go over two here. One is going to be straight OCD, and the other is transgender OCD. Straight OCD is obsessive-compulsive disorder suffered by an identified gay person who has gone through the coming-out process uh, who, or who identifies, again, as gay, um, but they fear they might actually be straight. Uh, they fear that they may have been lying to themselves about their sexuality, that they will eventually become straight despite their lifelong identity as a gay man or woman. Now, often straight OCD or, or, or these fears often come with its own fears uh, about how it will change their status among others in the gay community or, or whether they are fully or truly are able to know themselves. And it can be, can be incredibly painful and be a, a little bit broader in, in, in that way. The other transgender OCD, and this is perhaps uh, could be the focus for a whole other episode, and I tend to think it, the, the, the increase of transgender OCD or TOCD uh, is based on kind of the increased discussion of tra- transgender issues within uh, the broader society. Um, but uh, uh, transgender OCD is kind of getting uh, to be more and more of a thing. So uh, again, transgender OCD is just the obsessive-compulsive disorder cycle focused on whether the individual is, wants to be, will be, or will want to be the opposite gender. Now, this can often come with its own uh, uh, tie-in or even independently of traditional sexual orientation OCD. But again, it's all ultimately OCD that should be treated as OCD. All right, so what is going to be the goal of treatment? The question is, uh, after we've gone through all of that, was, okay, uh, I've got HOCD or I'm having these obsessions. Now what do I do with them? Because they're causing so much pain. Fix it. Um, so the goal of treatment is not going to be confirming that you're straight. That's not the goal of things. The goal, rather, is to accept the thoughts and the feelings as they are without trying to fix them but to act as you traditionally and have intended to act. Now, this treatment is also not conversion therapy. Um, This is not intended to uh, take someone who is um, egocentonically identified as gay and turning them back into a, or turning them not back, turning them into a straight identified person. That is not the goal. And if anybody is trying to do that, they're not doing CBT, they're not doing treatment, they're doing conversion therapy, and it's messed up and, and don't do that, run from them. But the goal of this treatment, rather, is to tolerate the anxiety, to tolerate discomfort. As with any other subject within OCD land, we're working towards tolerating uncertainty that we don't know. Now, my goals as a therapist are not to prove that you're gay, to prove that you're straight or bisexual or anything else on the spectrum, but is to help you be comfortable with the thoughts that you're having, no matter what they are. Now, again, that's going to be similar to if you're having violent thoughts or these sexual thoughts or you know, existential thoughts, any sort of thoughts is that someone who's coming to sit on my couch, they're sitting there because something that they're experiencing is making them feel uncomfortable and they're having thoughts that are of an egodystonic nature. So we need to work towards tolerating them. Now back to HOCD, um, I'll just be honest, I don't really care if you're straight, gay, or otherwise. I really don't. I've had folks who come and who come and work with me and they they try to ask me, you know, you guys can you know you're gonna make sure that I'm straight, right? I I, I don't really care. Now my philosophy is this if you're actually gay It's going to be a lot easier to accept your homosexuality if you aren't constantly in fear about having gay thoughts or feelings. Now, if you are, quote, actually straight, then we need to be able to tolerate the presence of these thoughts and feelings. So again, either way, whatever your sexuality is at the end of treatment is not up to me. My philosophy on this is also going to be we're going to wait on the decision as to whether or not you are gay or not gay until after treatment, until after you can effectively tolerate the anxiety of having these thoughts, and then you can make a more reasoned, rational decision as to where your sexuality lies, where your interests are. 
what pulls you, what gets you emotionally. Now, in the course of treatment, some folks sometimes try to resolve themselves to just accepting a category or, or a, a, a title of bisexual and just saying, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm bisexual, which may be true, I suppose. But and to some, it would seem like a pretty easy compulsion to do. But ultimately, for a lot of folks who have tried this, it's, it's ultimately not satisfying uh, to the OCD mind as it's not one of the two firm binaries of straight or gay. Okay, so now that we've gone over the goal of treatment, to no surprise, we're going to do cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure and response prevention, and acceptance and mindfulness with this. Weird, right? Okay, so CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, this is going to be where we're going to start to challenge the legitimacy of the thoughts and challenging the distorted thoughts um, and trying to provide a more balanced view of the thoughts that you're having, taking yourself, your history, uh, uh, what you can know about yourself, maybe about uh, homosexuality in general, into account uh, to challenge some of these uh, irrational, uh, uh, distorted, exaggerated, minimized sort of thoughts. Now, when you're doing cognitive restructuring with a therapist, uh, you're not trying to get to a firm, factual, and all-encompassing counterstatement uh, to combat that, because that would ultimately be a compulsion. Um, and, and this whole process can be compulsive in nature, because it feels like through cognitive restructuring uh, that you're just coming up with a better, more solid, more firm reassurance that you're straight. What it can do, however, is to provide a firmer grounding for exposures and acceptance down the line. Again, this is not reassurance. We're not necessarily getting to the fact that you are straight or that you are never going to be gay, things like that. But we're looking for statements about yourself that are generally true. We're going to be considering generally true statements uh, to make a decent argument um, against your initial feared thought. Some of the things to take into account might be, um, historically, I, I've been attracted to the opposite sex. That, that, that may be true. It doesn't say always. It doesn't say never. It just says, well, historically, this has been true. Notice it also doesn't predict the future. Another might be, um, I've had this fear, these thoughts for years, but I've never actually followed up on this action. That may also be, be true. You might also say that uh, regarding the feeling that my, quote, attraction to this other person, attraction to a same-sex person, uh, is inconsistent with my usual and general attraction to the opposite sex and is usually more consistent with actually fear and uneasiness. So not the, not the butterfly's excitement that you would get with the opposite sex, um, but more fear and, 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 and discomfort. Leslie might also notice one of the facts that um, simply noticing a same-sex person is attractive uh, is not the same as being gay. Now, all of these things we can say, we can say them as fervently as we want to, and we can, we can uh, agree with each one of those statements, but the problem is going to come is that sexuality is on a spectrum, and even regardless of the spectrum, is that even if we came up with, and perhaps you've noticed this, a great compulsion or a great reassurance, uh, it doesn't matter because your brain is always going to provide you with another what if or another yeah but statement and just keep that argument going. And furthermore, despite all of these statements towards your history and towards who you historically have been and what your intentions have been and what your attractions have historically felt like, all of that stuff, uh, we also have to recognize within this is that we can't predict the future. We have no idea what's going to happen. You can't be certain that you will never, ever, 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 quote, become gay or realize that you're gay or come to the realization that you have always been gay or that you're gay then in the future, even though you were in the past or whatever the case may be. It's that we don't know what the future is going to hold. It's possible that you, quote, are gay or that you could become or discover that you're gay or fluctuate somewhere along the LGBT spectrum at some point in your life. It's possible because neither one of us can predict the future. It's also possible that I get struck by lightning tomorrow. Could happen. It's also very possible that I could get into a horrific car accident tomorrow. Could also happen. OCD and anxiety want us to predict what's going to happen so it can keep us safe, and it views these thoughts as somehow a threat to us. But remember, that, that thought is the kind of this bully that's trying to make you do things to get this certainty that ultimately you and I know that we can't have. 
Now, one of my favorite ways to just challenge the the legitimacy of these thoughts and to uh, to consider some of the alternatives to these binaries uh, is to look at that sexuality being on a continuum, and that even the binaries of straight and gay aren't conclusive, as there are people who identify themselves as gay but have opposite sex attractions or sexual interactions at some point in their life. There are straight-identified people who sometimes have straight attractions or sexual interactions at some point in their life. There are people who are bisexual-identified, who essentially have only relationships or sex with same-sex or or opposite-sex partners. There are bisexual folks who are romantically or even relationally attracted to one sex and sexually attracted to the other. So, Trying to sit yourself in one of these boxes and categories is going to be very, very difficult, and your OCD knows it because it can't stand that there are these gray, this gray area, this, 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 this murky area in sexuality that's not clean and cut and dry, and it wants to latch onto that, and it's scary and uncomfortable. But that, it, it's, it's not the fact of the thoughts or the fact of your sexuality that we're trying to work towards, it is the acceptance of that thought, the tolerance of the thought, and that feeling, which brings me to acceptance. Acceptance is ultimately acknowledging that in this moment, you are having a thought and a feeling, having an image and having an urge, or even having a sensation. However, the awareness of them is not confirmation of the truthfulness now or even in the future. So coming from an ACT perspective, so acceptance and commitment therapy, um, we can kind of consider that, that one of the main approaches that it has is trying to become increasingly in touch with this present moment as it currently is without judgment, meaning without saying that this thought is good or bad or this feeling is good or bad or I should or shouldn't having this, um, but rather to move forward in life with your intentions and with your, uh, uh, with your actions based on your identified values, so what's important to you, that is what's going to guide the ship, in a sense. And this, so that might be, by the way, um, continuing in your current relationship, provided it's a good relationship, despite the thoughts that you're having. Another might be not asking your boyfriend or your girlfriend if they think that you're gay for the hundredth or thousandth time, um, because you know that they hate it. And you also know deep down that asking that question is not going to get you an answer that you want. Because again, you've asked them that a hundred thousand times before, a hundred and thousand times before, and have not gotten to a satisfying answer. Another might be watching that movie with your partner um, because they want to watch it. Whatever the that movie is that you've been putting off, um, and watching it, even though that there's that gay actor or uh, that that uh, that same that that same sex actor who, well, your your brain kind of says is attractive, or or even popularly everybody is saying this person is attractive, and you're you're again you have that fear that if you keep watching it, you you might get turned on, you might get aroused. Now another approach that we're going to do with an act or within uh, a, an acceptance perspective uh, uh, in regards to HOCD is going to be trying to disengage from useless thoughts. Now what does that mean? Well, one way we can think about this is recognizing that you've had the same thought a thousand times and that you haven't found the answer. So that you might want to consider that maybe this answer can't be provided now or ever. Again, this is, you and I can probably rationally recognize this, right? There are just some things that you and I just can't quite understand. Um, but again, your, your anxiety, the, the feeling can't stand that. Rationally, we can recognize that we can't understand these thoughts. Or we may not be able to predict the future, but your anxiety and that discomfort uh, and that uncertainty can't stand that. So it's going to be kicking at you and poking at you and trying to get you to get back and engage this process and this fight yet again. So we're trying to disengage from that again, get in touch with that feeling. So we're working towards accepting the uncertainty in this moment because you don't have an answer and you'll have to move forward at some point. And why not move forward in the direction that you want, not away from a direction that you hope you won't have? 
It's a subtle distinction, but you're trying to make the world about what you don't want instead of trying to move in the direction that you do want and taking that feeling along with you. Now, it's easier said than done, obviously. But in that process, engaging the debate again won't solve the problem. So what do we have left? If we're going to disengage from the problem, what we have left is to tolerate the discomfort between this moment and the time somewhere down the line, somewhere ages and ages hence in the future, where you will either become gay or you won't. Pretty scary, right? Somewhere in the future, either you are going to become gay or you're not, or you are going to become straight or realize that you're straight or become straight. Pick the language or the verbiage that you'd like. Um, but it's either going to happen or it's not. But that's the future stuff, remember? We can't, we can't control that. We have no idea what's going to happen. But we can only control and respond and affect this moment. So what are you going to do right now? Get back into that fight that you've done a billion times before? Or move forward with something else that perhaps is more meaningful to you, at least for right now? Something to consider. All right. So we've talked about that. We've talked about cognitive restructuring pieces. We've talked a little bit about acceptance piece now. Um, you've, you, what a lot of you folks have been reading about online is going to be exposures. So exposure and response prevention. There are two parts to it. Exposure and response prevention. So the exposure part is getting closer and closer to your fears or exposing yourself to the fear. Response prevention is pulling back from anything that would reduce the anxiety, help you to nullify it, help you to avoid that feeling and that discomfort. So in short, resisting compulsions. So doing the thing that you're afraid of, not doing compulsions. All right. The goal of VRP is to try to reduce the anxiety and reduce the subjective experience of anxiety. So reduce kind of that, that, that awful feeling. Make sure that you're feeling not as bad. Now, this is different from ACT because ACT's goal is, is, isn't to feel better, but rather to increase your willingness to feel uncomfortable stuff. Subtle difference, right? So ERP's goal, to feel better. ACT's goal is to feel any level of discomfort, to be open to whatever may come at any time. Now, a fun side effect of ACT uh, or acceptance is going to be, uh, sometimes is going to be a reduction of anxiety, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to happen or is always going to go down as much as we would like it to be. Doing ERP is going to be a... a um, kind of an involved process, and it, 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 can, it can be very quick, it can be very long, um, but it's going to be focused on doing the things that you have historically been putting off or avoiding and engaging things that make you feel uncomfortable. Now, again, we're staring that fear in the face. If you're afraid that if you watch that movie and you watch it long enough, or man, if you watch that movie and you like it, ugh, must mean that you're gay, then you're, you're exposing yourself to the lion's den. You're saying... All right, bring it on. If it's true, if it's going to happen, let's make it happen. Scary, right? Of course it is. Of course it's scary. So what we're trying to do then is we're, we're going to go into it slow. Now, some examples, again, of, of some exposures that one might do are going to be, as I mentioned, watching TV shows with attractive people on it. Uh, it might be um, uh, watching movies with gay content on it. It might be going to lunch at a restaurant in a gay neighborhood. Um, it might be, um, as I mentioned earlier, listening to music by gay artists or artists supportive of or associated with the gay community. Uh, another might even be just reading coming out stories, because with coming out stories, we might read some similarities between ourselves and the author. And if, as, as you know, if there are any comparisons we have with any one person, well, we're pretty much the same person. Am I right? Perhaps you can hear the uh, sarcasm in my voice, maybe. But... By reading those stories, it's going to feel uncomfortable because we're kind of putting ourselves in the mindset of a coming out story and seeing ourselves in it, and it's scary. But if you were to read that story or if you were to have lunch at that restaurant or listen to that music over and over and over again, pretty soon it's going to become pretty boring. That's the goal, is to become bored with this stuff. And again, we're calling anxieties bluff. You're either going to become gay or you're not. But we'll see, right? It's going to come down the line or it's not. All right. One of the ways that we do this is by starting small. 
Now, if you're working with a therapist, you can talk with them about how to start building your hierarchy. There are a number of great OCD books out there that talk about, uh, that have worksheets in it that will help you to build a hierarchy for yourself. Um, But one simple way is to think about what's one thing that you've been putting off, a small thing. Don't go for the biggest thing on your list. What's a small thing that you've been putting off um, that you could do today? And do that. And and, and, and you're going to go into it and you're going to feel uncomfortable and you're going to be scared. You're going to be worried about it, but feel the feeling, bring on all those feelings, feel what that's like. And again, as you continue to push through it, notice what it's like and notice your thoughts, notice the sensations, but, but ultimately and most importantly, stay there and resist that urge to do a compulsion, to undo it, to avoid it, uh, to neutralize it, to undermine it. Eventually, typically speaking, that anxiety, that discomfort is going to come down. So again, doing a feared act and resisting a compulsion to get certainty that you're going to be straight or that you won't turn gay and make space in that moment for whatever feelings come up whatever feelings may come up. So I want you to think about one thing that you could do that would be a perceived risk, that would be scary for you, to consider whether or not you'd be willing to try that thing, to watch that movie, to listen to that song, uh, to go to that place, to talk to that person, to shake that person's hand, to give that person a hug. If you're willing to do it, give it a try and notice what that's like. Now, in the course of doing exposures, some folks will, will often notice something called a backdoor spike. So if you've never heard about a backdoor spike, what this is, is as you're doing exposures, as we're expecting the, the, the subjective anxiety, the discomfort that comes with, the, with, quote, gay thoughts or gay stuff is going to start coming down. Now, as it starts to come down, you'll start to feel more comfortable around gay topics, talking about gay stuff, um, and it's, it, it's going to feel pretty, pretty boring again. But then... OCD in natural, typical, predictable OCD fashion is going to pop right up and it's going to say, ah, see, now you're gay or now you're becoming gay because you're comfortable with gay stuff. Because don't you know, gay folks are comfortable with gay thoughts. Now you're comfortable with gay thoughts. Before you were uncomfortable with gay stuff and that was kind of confirmation that you were straight. So uh, that felt pretty good because at, ver- at the very least you knew you were uncomfortable, but now you're comfortable. What does that say about you? You're either, again, becoming gay or you're closer to being gay than you were before or that you're realizing who you truly are or you're just on the cusp of doing something gay. Now, again, this is a backdoor spike that you should expect at some point, and it's no big deal. It is yet another OCD thought, another gambit that OCD is trying to do to suck you back into that argument, but you're smarter than that, right? You're going to use your big old brain to acknowledge that that's a thought, like all the other ones. It's not something to be worried about. It's just, it's there. And again, maybe we'll see if it's true. If it's saying that I am gay, cool. Well, we'll see where it goes. Now, as you do exposures, something you might also notice is you're going to notice your groinal sensations. And we've talked a little bit about these before. I think we've talked about these before on, a, on previous episodes, but groinal sensations, perhaps it's self-explanatory in the name of it, but it's, it's, the, it's the sensations of, of, of uh, genital arousal in, in your groin. So now, in what sometimes happens is people will do these exposures. They'll start to notice their groinal sensation, which again is to be expected because if we're thinking about sexy time things, um, we're going to be thinking about our groin. That's kind of what happens. Um, when we start thinking about sexual things, we start thinking about the places in our body, our erogenous zones that start to uh, experience or that, that are, are kind of designed to experience sexual pleasure. So for most of us, it's going to be our groin. Now, when those feelings come up, it's not something we need to run from, hide from, undo, make sure that we don't get them, but to accept that sometimes we have them. Sometimes we feel arousal, but again, it's not the end of the world. It's not something that's going to kill you or make uh, be confirmation that you are, in fact, gay, 
but something that you're just kind of feeling. One of my favorite examples of this is, uh, and I know this will be male-centric, um, but, uh, but for men, um, uh, if you're listening to this, you'll, you, you'll probably acknowledge that this is true as well, um, is that um, as you were you know, going through uh, junior high, high school, college, uh, afterward, or at some point in your life, you experienced the dreaded NRB, the no reason boner. It's the one that just kind of shows up. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable, uh, but it's there, and it's not like something that you were you were engaging in or looking at something that was explicitly sexual or or, or uh, uniquely sexual at least to you, but was just your body's natural reaction. Now, your brain then doesn't latch onto that and say, "Oh, well, see, you 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 had an erection in in third period math. Well, it, it must mean that you are you are uh, uh, turned on by or or, or sexually attracted to." Um, I don't know, mathematics. There's just something about division that seems to turn you on. Like you're not jumping to that conclusion. But if you happen to notice any tingling sensation at all in your body um, with HOCD, it latches onto it and says, ah, see, that's confirmation right there. And the other part is, if you were to think about any part of your body for any amount of time, you just think about your left foot. Think about that for a moment. Just turn your attention towards there. What do you feel? What's there? Tingling? Do you feel your shoe on your foot? Is it hot? Is it tight? Do you feel anything different there that you perhaps didn't notice before? And likely you do, because you're turning your attention towards it. Your body is taking in all this physical or, or, or sensing input all the time, and your brain can't focus on all of it all the time, or you can't bring it up to your, your awareness, um, but when we turn our attention to it, man, we're going to start to feel it. The same is in our groin. All right, I think I've said enough about that. All right, so another element of ERP, another typical one is going to be um, doing imaginal exposures. So imaginal exposures or cognitive exposures or uh, scripting, more commonly known as scripting, is going to be an exercise where you write out a story of your biggest fear. Now, uh, there are plenty of other blogs out there that are going to talk about how to do these. And again, if you're working with a therapist, you can talk with them about how these work. But these can be really fantastic. And especially for folks who are, 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 are hesitant to um, engage in um, looking at sexually explicit images or watching pornography as exposure, um, this can be a great way uh, uh, to still get to that same uh, or to still make a lot of progress uh, without having to engage in that. Either it uh, I, I, looking at sexually explicit images or pornography is gonna, going to disagree with a moral or religious belief you might have, which, again, is totally fine. You are not required to watch pornography um, in order to make progress with HOCD. Don't let any other therapist convince you otherwise. So what I want to do for the rest of this episode, instead of addressing a question, is I want to actually lead you into a guided meditation um, that's, a, that's not a textbook script, but, um, and nor, nor is it necessarily a guided meditation as a, as a traditional means, but is something that is going to help you to engage in a, a thought and engage in a feeling. Now, the goal of this guided meditation is to allow for various images and physical sensations to be present in your mind and your body without fighting them, without attempting to change them or turn them into something else. This is an exercise of tolerance and of acceptance. Now, you may not be willing to follow through with the whole thing, and that's, that's totally fine, but follow through it as much as you can and as much as you're willing to do. Now, please know, i got to put this caveat on there, follow this exercise at your own risk and only do it in a safe environment. So I'm going to start by asking you to close your eyes. So no closing your eyes while driving and then crashing, then blaming it on a silly podcast, okay? Be smarter than that, okay? But um, and if you aren't ready or you find it just way too stinking triggering, um, perhaps you can pause it. Perhaps you can go over it later with your therapist. But for those who might be ready to give it a try, follow through with it. It might be kind of fun. All right, so I'm just going to try to uh, uh, turn on a little music. We're going to see how this works. All right, maybe not that music. Maybe something else. Okay. 
All right, so if you're able to, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to focus your attention on your breath. Take three deep breaths in through your mouth and out through your nose. Notice the sensation of your breath going in with your chest expanding. And then notice the sensations of the air as you exhale through your nose. Turn your attention towards those sensations. Now, if you notice a thought coming in uh, and trying to take your attention away from that, that breath, uh, gently acknowledge that thought. I want you to let that thought just move on by without grabbing onto it. Now, I want you to notice the sensations in your body. Starting at your feet and moving up towards your legs and into your torso and out to your arms and then up to the top of your head. Have you noticed any, if you noticed any tension or resistance, simply acknowledge that tension, resistance, and that feeling. But make space in this moment. Bring that feeling along for the ride. It's not something that you need to be afraid of, but it's something that's, that's here, and that's okay. Now, I want you to imagine someone of the same sex and this person is going to be the definition of average. And I want you to envision them in front of you. Simply standing there. And you can imagine yourself looking them up and down. Taking in their appearance just, just as they are. Notice what they're wearing. Notice their haircut. Notice their physique. If you notice any resistance to looking, again, acknowledge that, acknowledge that feeling, acknowledge the resistance, acknowledge any attempts to replace this image with another safer image. Acknowledge the desire to run away from it, but let it slip by. Let it slip by as you continue to hold on to the image of this person. Now again, as you're noticing this person, notice what your body feels like. If you have any tension, tightness, or resistance, that's all right. Let it come along for the ride. Now, if you notice an article of clothing that this person is wearing that you like, either verbally or mentally, acknowledge it to them as if they're in the room with you. Say, I really like that shirt, great shoes. It's a beautiful necklace. Notice what that felt like to give this person a compliment, the same-sex person a compliment. Remember, take that feeling and take that feeling along for the ride. It's okay. Now, I want you to imagine that what they're wearing and what they look like is a five on the attractive scale. Remember, they're completely average. Now, I want you to increase that, change it to a seven. So increase it. Now, notice what's different. Look them up and down again. Notice what they're wearing. Notice what they look like. Okay, now, I want you to offer this person a compliment again, but increase the level of the burbage to a seven as well. So this is gonna be a little bit more personal, perhaps. Maybe you say, that shirt is hot. You might say, you look great in those pants. I'd say, I love how tight that is on you. It really shows you off. You think about something that's just a little bit more personal that you might say about them. Now, this, this thought may make you feel uncomfortable, but, but that's great. You can say that thing that makes you feel uncomfortable. Acknowledge that statement. Take that feeling and, and bring it along for the ride. We're taking this feeling along with us. Now, now I want you to take the clothing options and their appearance up to a nine. We started as a five, I want you to bring it up all the way to a nine. 
Now, this may also include removing mentally some of their clothing. Again, look them up and down. Notice that their attractiveness has also increased to a nine. Now, as you look them up and down, maybe you notice that things are bigger, some things are smaller, and all in just the right ways. Okay. Now, I want you to focus on a part of their body that makes you feel moderately nervous to look at. Remember, they're a nine. I want you to focus in. Imagine zooming in on that body part. Focus on it. Intentionally look there. Now, there's no right body part for you to be looking at, but think of one that you are moderately hesitant to look at. Now, as you hold that image in mind, I want you to notice your own body. What do you feel? Welcome that feeling. Are you noticing your heart racing? Are you noticing your groinal sensations? Are you noticing any other intrusive thoughts saying you shouldn't look? Are you noticing your anxiety trying to judge what you're feeling or that you should or shouldn't have those feelings? Notice all of them and let all those thoughts just slip on by. They aren't the topic of focus. Gently redirect your attention, redirect yourself back to this gorgeous, sexy, homoerotic image that's in front of you. Now, we're going to push just a little bit further. Now, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine imagine that body part you've been focusing on. I want you to imagine reaching out and mentally touching that person, mentally touching that body part that you've been staring at. I want you to, in your mind's eye, caress it, hold on to it, grab it. Notice how touching it feels so good, feels so right feels so natural to you. Now, as you're touching their body, I want you to look them in the eyes and say, I've wanted to do this for so long. You're perfect. You turned me on. Now, I want you to also think about other things that you might say to this person that's in front of you. Think about that, that phrase, that saying that would make you feel most uncomfortable. We just say that to them. Now, as you're holding on to this image, and holding on to this feeling, now I want you to intentionally turn your focus as well to your groin. I want you to notice what you feel. If you're feeling sensations in it now, again, that's, that's completely normal and acceptable. Continue to breathe as you're holding on to this image and noticing your groinal sensations. So don't try to fight it or avoid it. Lastly, as you're focusing on your groin, I want you to perform 10 Kegel exercises. So when I say go, I want you to, to tense the muscles in your groin as if you were trying to stop yourself from urinating as you inhale and then relax those muscles as you exhale. So, inhale, one. Two. Three. Four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Good. Now, 
you can let all the images that you've been creating during this time just kind of float away. You can let this person disappear into your mindset. Now, if they happen to linger in your mindset, that, that's okay. We've been focusing on them for quite some time now. So, um, But I want you to redirect your attention back to your breath, taking five deep, slow, and controlled breaths, releasing any tension your body has with each exhale. Imagine as you're exhaling, letting it float away with each breath. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. So, how was that exercise? What surprised you about the exercise? You can think about what spiked your anxiety, if anything at all. How did you notice your anxiety trying to distract you and to pull you out of that moment? Take note of that. Hmm. Now, this exercise may have been completely easy for some of you, um, and it might have been incredibly difficult for others. So exercises like this can go in any direction your imagination can allow. Um, often, as someone's progressing through their treatment, um, their, their imaginal exposures and other ERP exercises will uh, become more graphic, uh, and they'll become more pinpointed to what their greatest fears are. Now, this can be imagining actually having sex with somebody, it can be carrying on a relationship or pursuing a, a genuine, real relationship with somebody um, of the same sex, or it can be just simply coming out. Now, figuring this out can be a great task for you and your therapist and something to certainly work on. Um, but that's the exercise for today. All right. Great job, everybody. You stuck it out through this episode. Um, so thank you so much for uh, listening to this uh, FearCast episode on HOCD. Um, and again, we'll be going over other taboo manifestations of OCD in future episodes, such as uh, pedophile OCD, POCD, uh, and postpartum uh, OCD, likely we'll be going over something like that. Um, but um, I would love to hear your HOCD-specific questions for a future episode. Now, please remember that there is no wrong or bad or off-topic question. You can ask me anything. Um, again, nothing is going to make me turn red and nothing is going to make me feel uncomfortable. So, um, and you can ask this anonymously. Please remember that. So, uh, you can submit a question for a specific topic as well for a future episode. If you'd like to hear, uh, uh, me yammer on about that, uh, you can call that in by, uh, uh, calling 714-594-9281, or you can submit a question by, by clicking on the submit a question link at fearcastpodcast.com. Now, please remember that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about finding a therapist, please visit the Find Help link at fearcastpodcast.com. So thanks again for listening to this episode. And until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.